Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. All right, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Stephen Slate. I'll be moderating a talk here with Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar, my co-authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions. Uh, Today we want to talk about whether or not people need some kind of support group or meeting to go to. Uh, As alternatives to AA have popped up over the years, many of them also have a meeting structure. Is that needed? What do you think, Michelle? Well, for a long time, I actually thought that it was. I, I thought there were definite benefits to to a meeting structure. I went to many meetings myself um, throughout the 90s, from 1990 to about 1996 or 97, we were in AA. And, um, and there were a lot of negatives to being at the meetings, that's for sure. Um, everybody's all up in your business all the time. There was a, a lot of catty crap, cat bullshit, as it were. Um, especially, you know, the women stay with the women. And um, that, that was tough being a woman in AA, for sure. Um, and, and I began to wonder if the negatives outweighed any of the positives. And, and we did look into that. And, um, and when we were leaving AA, you know, we, we spent a few years, I want to say, I don't know, like two, three years extricating ourselves from AA. And then we ended up creating our own mini version of AA, which Mark is going to talk about. We called it the fellowship, which even gives me the creeps to say it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was pretty creepy um, because we didn't want to throw everything out. We weren't, we weren't sure if uh if there was still some benefits so we kept really researching it um and we found out that there really wasn't mark can talk about some of our experiences with uh with that yeah well i think that for the listeners out there you have to understand that everybody in this room talking uh came out of an aa background of some kind and in my case and michelle's case certainly um our families were heavily involved so there was an evolution process that happened and we literally began the research in the late 80s with trying to prove that AA worked and being good researchers we found it didn't (laughs) you know and and then as but but we were unwilling to let go of this idea of support because there were other things that we believed we we hadn't fully extricated ourselves from the disease concept yet there were other things that just held on so eventually over time we we moved away from aa because that was just untenable it just didn't work and we could see that and there was so much chaos and drama involved in it and then we created the fellowship which actually was worse because uh this whole idea of support uh became um paramount 
to people and we were creating fragility that people were, were becoming fragile and uh, which is the opposite of what you want to create we were creating a subculture and then in the middle of that fellowship experiment um, I was staying in contact with people that had moved on with their lives and what I found was that the people who moved on and weren't getting support of any kind were doing better much better actually than the people that stayed around in the fellowship or those that stayed in contact with us for support in other words the people that embraced their own uh, free will the ability to choose the ability to move on and free themselves from addiction all of that uh, those people did better so as a researcher when you have a situation like that happen you have to disband the fellowship because obviously I wasn't doing something or running something that was beneficial to people and so that's where we discovered this idea that support meetings actually created the very problem we were trying to solve and I want to step in here and say I was there for the disbanding yes. right? which was traumatic it was traumatic <laughs> um, I came through the retreat it was I got out of the retreat in mid-April 2002 yeah and at that time you had a couple set of statistics and you said look the people that we've looked at they've done the fellowship for one year that they committed they went to meetings several times a week and volunteered and helped others and did this stuff there 95% of them are like consistently sober yeah. Right? Abstinent. Yeah. Um, long term. And it was a true statistic. But um, we'll get, you know, we'll get to what was different about that, what, what that means. It's self-selection, essentially. Yeah. But so that was pitched to me. It was said like, hey, people who do this, 95% success rate. So I said, okay, well, I'm doing that. I'm going to stick around for one year in these meetings. Well, we get to December, mid-December, and you disband the fellowship. Yeah. And um, and I was like, well, I'm supposed to be doing this year thing. And like, and, <laughs> and I have a talk, and I think it was more with Jerry. And he's like, look, he's like, Steve, you were committed. The, going to these meetings did not get you well. Um, you did. And right. you would have done it without these meetings. And that was really hard for me, and it still took me maybe another year to learn the lesson after that to, to, to really understand um, that, that, you know, I was attributing my change to this thing, and it was really me. And, and once I got that point, I now see through the idea of like, well, some things work for some people and some things work for others. Uh, but now I'm going way too deep. No, but anyways, no, that's okay. There's, that's okay. there's self-selection that is happening. Can you? Can either of you explain that? What you know, meeting makers make it, right? Right. <laughs> but that's because they they believe that uh, they're told, just like I told you, that you need this thing. Yeah. And so here's here's a logical explanation. Every person who stays sober stay sober because they do it there's nothing external that forces people to behave a certain way in other words there's nothing that happens at an AA meeting that goes inside the mind <laughs> of the person and changes them without them saying uh, without the individual saying 
I, I agree. So the part where somebody says, I agree to this message of being sober, that's them. That's, they're doing that. That person, that individual is making that choice. It's not the meeting doing it to them. And when I realized that people were just choosing what they felt was best for them and that there was this huge group of people that left and didn't get the support, quote unquote, or that external means of controlling them or changing them, then I realized, well, it really wasn't needed, that people are just doing what they want to do. And they're attributing that their success, their decision to stay sober, they're attributing it to something that can't possibly change them. Yeah. A meeting can't possibly change you. And uh, what changes you is you. You decide, well, I guess this meeting is important to me. It may be important to you for a whole number of reasons, but, but the truth of the matter is the meeting doesn't change you. You change yourself. Yeah. And that was what I realized, is that all these people are being told this stuff. And in the end, it's the person making the choice because they can equally choose to drink at any given point, and many do. Yeah, and what I want to bring up is that I was doing the things that were said to do in the meetings. I was, I was volunteering in a, a church, a couple of community centers. Um, I was helping people with substance use problems. I was doing this gung-ho. But all, there also there was a lot of people that were doing more of that than me. And they actually called me the slacker. You know what I mean? I was the slacker and I was the one who was gonna fall apart yeah. um, because I like to skip meetings on Sunday nights to catch the last uh, season of X-Files that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get yelled at about that by my by my mentor. Yeah. Um, no, but... Uh, and then a lot of those people crumbled. Yeah. Um, and and so that were, was what you pointed out to me. You said, like, people are doing better going straight home. Yeah. And, and then I did start to look around, and I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like, I'm seeing people do, they're, do, they're going through the same motions as me, but then they go back to smoking crack or whatever else. Yeah. You yeah. know, even my mentor, he was a star of it yeah and went back to smoking crack is it was it was uh sad yeah yeah it, we did find that that's that's what the research showed i can remember when we were told um and i think it was right around christmas like christmas eve that year and you know we had our meeting and in the meeting basically we said everybody needs to go home and people were like, why? Oh, they freaked out. It was, it, it was just chaos. It was bedlam. <laughs> and and what, it, what we said was, is, well, we're looking at the data. And the people that go home do twice as well as the people that are sticking around. I mean, when we looked at the, when we looked at the data, that 95% data, we kind of did a little bit of fudging like AA does, which is we measured the people that stuck it out. If you stick it out for the whole year, you have this 95% success rate, but how many people didn't stick it out, yeah. and, you know, yeah, and went home? And then we learned that the people that didn't stick, you know, if we took that whole subset, that group that's, you know, came here, more people left the people that stuck it out stuck it out because they believed and didn't use because they believed they could be happier. Doing so that. doing that. And then the people that went home that didn't feel like they needed support 
we're doing we're doing better than the people that we had here because yeah. once the people drank and laughed they didn't do well at all because now they were ostracized from the group yeah you know it became cultish like yeah and here here's the thing that i that struck me uh was these meetings uh this this sort of group is a place to ride the fence and to never guess onto one side or another that's what struck me maybe in the year after our talk right and after my talk with jerry was like oh yeah a lot of these people are riding the fence they're not moving on with their lives yes they're staying perpetually annexed and they're kind of being tethered to that identity by being in the group they're tethered to a distraction yeah and they're being they were being distracted from making the decision that everybody in the recovery community universally is afraid of, and that is, do I like getting hammered? Yeah. Right? To really face that alternative, do I want to spend all my time getting hammered or change that up? Right. Yeah. Do, is there some benefit in maybe moderating or adjusting my use? Do I want to continue with heavy use? What are the benefits of moderating? What are the benefits of abstaining? We weren't looking at any of that. that so the meeting structure became this sort of straw man over here where everybody was focused on this process yeah and they were distracted in this warehousing type situation in this village it was sort of a recovery community yes. just yes. like sober yes. living and Look that at, kind we, of thing. we, we yeah. did it we we created the monster we were trying to get away from and uh and it and it you know in research you got to have the guts to try everything and we tried everything yeah we really did we tried every permutation of what aa did and we tried to get out of it, and then we actually literally recreated it. And thankfully, we kept doing follow-up studies. You know, when we kept looking at the people that were doing well, I said, none of them are doing service work. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had some yeah, of them they was, just went home and lived. Yeah, they just I went mean, home and lived we had people lives. that came for just two weeks, went home and just did their thing. Yeah, yeah. Then the natural order of life is that you move on and you sort of change. You just change. You just move on, and uh, we were actually stopping people from changing to some degree. Yeah. yeah. So, what appeal? I want to talk about what appealed to me in the program at that time, though, and that was you have a choice. You don't have a disease. Yeah. Um, you're doing this because it thinks you make you, you think it, it you need it to be happy, well, but you you have to consider the possibility you could be happier without it test that out see what happens and that is what was really going on when i got over my problem is i was testing out to see if i could be happier without it so the choice uh message was there and that was powerful but the meeting contradicts it because the meeting says it's a matter of strength you are weak you need other people you need a special technique or process when in fact there is no technique, you don't need technique. Right, you're it's, born with it. You're born with the technique. It's, it's called free, free will. Free will. You choose, yes. right? You 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 engage in decision making. Um, but for some reason, and now here's what I want to bring it to: what I think is most important. People want alternatives to AA and twelve step programs all the time, and what do they all end up being? More meetings, right? right? You and I. I don't need to name them. Uh, but there's been a whole bunch of alternative groups over the years and and there was one other group that that figured it out um, and that was rational recovery 
which a lot of people don't know, had meetings at first. That was Jack Trimpey's system. And he, and a lot, he, he understood a lot. He got a lot of right. There's a lot of things we disagree with on, you know, with him on. But he got a lot of stuff right. And at some point, he was having these meetings, and he figured out the same thing. It's like riding the fence. Uh, it's people are keeping the option of being an addict yes. alive essentially yeah. like the way he says it they were they were giving themselves an out of some kind right. at any minute by being a recovering addict in a meeting you can go you know relapse right like yeah. you, keep, you, you keep the mythology alive yeah yeah and so he figured it out he said i'm ending meetings for rational recovery and then the people who stuck around that really wanted meetings they formed smart recovery um and that became a thing. And then we have the other one. I said I wasn't going to name them. So yeah. There's a, yeah, Smart, a, SOS, Life Ring. Yeah. There's a million permutations of AA for atheists and different things. There's all kinds of alternatives. Um, but they all rest on one thing that, that um, is, is the idea that there is weakness and you need fellowship with other people for the strength. Right. to battle this entity called addiction. And so in my mind, any true non-12-step program, they can't do this meeting thing. Right. I, don't, I don't understand how you engage in this meeting thing without teaching people... Weakness. Weakness. And it's not a matter of weakness. You're not weak because you have infinite free will. See, the weakness argument is a huge distraction from what is actually within you, which is the, the ability to choose your own destiny. That is ignored in every recovery model. And if you, if you ignore that which is intrinsic to a human being, that which you were born with, then you're literally ignoring the individual. Because what you are is your mind, not your body, it's a meat suit. What you are... A meat suit. Yeah, it's a meat suit. It's a mobile meat suit. <laughs> I was like, we're not just going to skip over that, are we? I know Steve had to say something. <laughs> but Like Lady Gaga? <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, you are your mind, your thoughts, your free will. So you have this infinite ability to change. And so what do the meetings become? A distraction. They become a distraction because it says that you're weak. You're not weak. You're doing what you want to do. Now, you may be confused about that, mostly because of the mythology that you've been taught. Um, and But the truth is you don't need a meeting to sort it out. You just have to decide what it is that you want based on the benefits of the decisions you're making, whether that's to continue getting high and drunk at heavy levels, whether you want to moderate it, which you can do successfully if you want to do that. Those that can't moderate or say they can't moderate don't because they don't want to moderate. Um, or if you wanna, if you wanna abstain, I abstained for twenty years, and then now I drink some occasionally, and and, and I enjoy it. Um, it's in, but it's inconsequential. I don't go to meetings. I don't need support. I don't feel weak. I don't feel scared. I don't feel fearful. I'm not distracted like I need to go run and get support by people. And the reason is because I understand that it's just a simple choice, just like eating cheesecake or getting in my car and going for a drive. It has no more significance than that. So. I just want to address one thing because I see it in social media a lot. And, and when people are leaving AA, I think they, they get bogged down in this idea that they need to make friends. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. that there's no other place to make friends, that um, that they need this concrete mm-hmm. manifestation of their life change, which is, oh, I got to hit a meeting. Right, it's their um, identity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there are literally infinite ways to make friends. And I feel badly when I see somebody say that because a lot of, I was like this. I was not a terribly social person, believe it or not. And people that know me now are like, you got to be kidding me. But I was not a, a, an outgoing social person unless I was drinking. Um, and then when I went to AA, I, I, you know, you're, you kind of feel like you belong right away. And yeah, you're special. You're, you're special and you're in the secret club and, and it, it makes, it does, it makes you feel important for a really short period of time until the psychos come out of the woodwork and start running your life. And, and then you're like, well, maybe this isn't all that great. Um, there are literally infinite ways to make friends. And and if you're like me, I'm not somebody that has a ton of friends. I mean, if you see me on Facebook, I have a ton of Facebook friends, but but socialization-wise, I have maybe three or four people that I socialize with overall, and I work most of the time, and it's everybody who I associate with work. So, <laughs> um, so but, you know, over the years, since I left AA, I've, you know, taken classes, and I volunteered at, I was a volunteer firefighter and EMT. I volunteered... Um, with the youth commission, I met people at my kids' school. I mean, I, there are the the needs of humanity are infinite, so you can volunteer at just about anything you want to do. But the way to make friends is to seek out people that have similar interests as you. Um, it's to get involved. It's to leave your house, get off your computer. Well, yeah. Can I can I can I jump in there? Because think about this: when you get into that argument that you're talking about, and that is. I need meetings for socialization. They set up, the meetings themselves set up this this system that says, it's either meetings or you're drunk. Right. And what we're saying is, leave both of them behind and move on. Yes. The third option is called freedom. Wouldn't you like to be free? I did a post on on the Leaving AA uh, Facebook page just uh, today talking about, um, why would you say you're a person in recovery? There's nothing to recover from. There is no disease. So you're not recovering. You're you're making a choice about whether you're going to abstain, moderate, or continue heavy use. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Now, if you do abstain, because that's the, the happier option for yourself, abstain, don't go to a meeting, and go do something that builds your life and makes you happier. Right. You know, it's... It, and it opens up that door. For, yeah. That's what freedom does. So wouldn't you want to be free? I wanted to be free. I wanted to be quote unquote normal. I don't even like that term. I just wanted to be free. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be free of the construct of identifying myself by my past. And once I let that go, there was no need for meetings. I was either going to get drunk, not drunk. I was going to moderate. I was going to do whatever I wanted to do with freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump in, because I, I was wanting to jump in on her, <laughs> but um, I was thinking about this the other day, because all, you have to think about bars, and I was reading all these sociologists, these ridiculous sociological books, like, where, where people sit, like, a sociologist would sit in a bar and observe people, like, like, I David Attenborough, like, looking at <laughs> animals <laughs> in the wilds. Yeah. <laughs> And they're written like this, these books from the 60s. They're They're hilarious. (laughs) But they are right, and they give you a lot of insight, and they say, look, the bar. Bars are a place where the normal rules of society don't apply. 
right? And you walk into, now not every bar, there's different types of bars, but generally, like you walk right. into a bar and you're agreeing that that freaking weirdo down there can talk to me. Right. He can say hi, I have to respond politely. And we have to, you know what I mean? And there's right. this, everybody is allowed to talk to each other. And right. you don't find that many places in the world. You don't find that walking down the street. You try to talk to somebody on the subway right. and they're going to get a video of you and put it all over the internet and say that you're a creep rapist or something. <laughs> right? No, that's what's... Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry true. for... I hope no, that's not true. too overboard no, that's great. for this. But, so, that's the bar. And, and you go out there and observe it, you'll see that, right? The, the sociologists were right. But that's also AA meetings it in is. a way. Yes, it's the secret and society. And so yes. people flip between, they like bars sometimes because that's such an easy place to socialize. And then AA is such an easy place to socialize. That's a good point. And there's a quick thing there. So that makes it attractive. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and you're tied together by the addict alcoholic identity yes yeah which is which is that's, problematic yeah that's well, real problem there's plenty of problematic there yeah but i i think that that's what's going on i don't know how helpful it is to point that out <laughs> but to say like you know have some courage and move beyond that there's bigger and better things out there than sitting in a basement every night for an hour think about this what if to your point steve what if a person said to themselves none of these support meetings exist because 100 years ago they didn't. Yeah. That's right. So when people quit drinking, and they did, right? Yeah. In the, in the same era, they, they quit drinking or drugging. What did they do? They just moved on. Yeah. And, and the only reason that support meetings exist to this day is because people assume that's what's necessary. That's... And I... Yeah. That's and let's talk right. about the facts on that, right? right. So you, you see these... Um, you know, uh, numbers put out by like faces and faces of recovery or whatever, you know, these organizations are called. They'll, be like, they'll say there's 23 million Americans living in recovery and you can be one of them too. Now, these numbers are true. It might be even more than that, but except for the word in recovery, because in recovery is a special, that's a special definition and it implies that those people are going to meetings, right? It implies that they're living that whole lifestyle, that they're abstinent. Of course, they're not all abstinent. Not, not by a long shot. 50% of people who are alcoholics are, are moderate drinkers now, right? right. So um, they're not all living what you've been taught in AA. They're not going to meetings. And in fact, AA's membership is somewhere around 2 million. It hasn't grown in the past 10 years, even though rehabs treatment programs are sending right, new people in right. there every year right. right and still the membership doesn't does That's is right. not really it's growing right static yep and you know then you got to think about how many people are sober at are 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 really over their problems at these meetings that you go to and it is a very small amount right right it hovers around 5 to 20% if we said even that it was 50% right. <laughs> right then we could say maybe there's a million people doing doing that and it's successful for them right out of 23 million right that's a tiny yeah, tiny yeah, yeah it's a sliver it's, it, that's it's, assuming 50% of them are doing right. well but so many of them are just shuffled back in through rehabs yes, again right, and again yes. where I don't know if all the listeners know this I don't know who's been to rehab but when you go to rehab they either have AA meetings 
in the place that local people, local AA members come in and run, or they take you off grounds in a van, what is usually called the druggy buggy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to the druggy buggy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's not even 50% of it, but like, so you have to know the vast majority, and, and we've done, we've crunched the numbers for oh, real. Yeah. I can't rattle them off the top of my head, but less than 1% of the people who've gotten over their drug and alcohol use problems is like a devout 12-step member. Right. The other 99% of people who have gotten over these problems aren't going to meetings. Now that's that's really important to understand. So if you're struggling and you're a part of that subculture, you're in a in in a tiny percentage of people that's struggling. It doesn't mean that your struggle is is any less valid. I, I struggled too. Look at I went to over 3,000 AA meetings and NA meetings. I understand it to, to my core. I understand it. Um, but most people, 99%, move on. They move on. So, so you certainly can. You can be free of this. And uh, you can choose any usage pattern that you want uh, as part of your life. At any point now there's a lot of other things in in our other podcasts and uh, and in our book obviously the freedom model that you may have to get through to understand really how to be free because there's so much mythology this is just a tiny piece this meeting thing is just a tiny piece of the overall recovery lie or grouping of lies so we'll cover a lot of that in, in uh, the other podcasts as we go forward but but you need to know this is a big one a lot of people are, are really wondering if they need meetings and you don't you can you can move past this and move on thank you i think we're gonna close all right yeah for the 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 addiction solutions podcast this has been steven slate mark sheeran and michelle dunbar check out our book the freedom model for addictions escape the treatment and recovery trap thanks thank you Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by The Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, The Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out SoberForever.net. Once again, that's SoberForever.net. Thank you to everyone who helps make this podcast happen. Editing is done by Christopher Dunbar and Daniel Hidalgo. Thank you to our incredible staff at Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model Retreats, without whom none of this would be possible.